Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, we are also joined by freelance writer Julian Rabbit Murdoch. Julian, welcome back to the show. It's so great to be back. I feel like I haven't been on forever. You realize it's only been like three shows, but three shows is a lifetime in podcast land. <laughs> and we know how you love attention. I do. I am an attention whore. It's un- I'm unashamed. Uh, next, we welcome back our friend Soren Johnson, designer of Civilization Four, the official strategy game of Three Moves Ahead. <laughs> <laughs> wow, excellent. Where, where, where is my check? Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Fraxis should have passed that right along, man. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Oh, uh, they stiffed you again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tonight we continue with a series of topics that Troy and I have uh, been informally calling in, in chats during the, uh, during the afternoon. We've been informally calling this our series of topics on things that sound awesome but rarely are. Uh, and so where better do you go after customization than espionage? Uh, oh, esp- oh, dear. Yeah, so espionage is one of those features that uh, you you often find in, in a forex in a forex strategy game or a grand strategy game. It's frequently a requested feature uh, by fans. Why can't I play with spies? And yet, I think it has a fairly mixed track record in the field. Uh, mixed, mixed. Oh dear. <laughs> Let's <see. laughs> just. Uh, <laughs> all right, so not mixed. Lead off, Julian. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I I haven't played every game in the world, but. Uh, you know, I think of I think of spying in strategy games, at least. I mean, there are plenty of uh, we should distinguish here because otherwise we'll end up in these definitional arguments. Right. We're not talking about playing the spy in Team Fortress 2. Right. Which is cool. We're not talking about playing stealth games. Right. We're talking about spying as an espionage as a feature in strategy games. And as such, I was sort of racking my brains here thinking about. All of the sort of the classic, uh, you know, big 4X type games that we talk about all the time, like Masters of Orion 2. As far as I can remember, Masters of Orion 2 spying is effectively a button on a screen and it just lets you steal crap from your opponent. But there's no unit. Am I right on that? Um, Masters of Orion 2? Yeah, I don't remember quite well enough. I mean, it was it was it was sort of an afterthought. It was just like you could put points into it, and then in your relationships with other people, you could steal crap from them. And more often than not, the your interaction with spying was you would ignore it, and then your opponent would inevitably steal all your crap from you, like all of your techs, and that was annoying. And then Alpha Centauri, uh, not really any better or all that much different. And then the various Civ implementations, I've never been particularly fond of. So I'm trying to come up with an example where espionage added something juicy and interesting to the game. I mean, it sounds like such a great premise, right? The idea to be able to go behind enemy lines and sabotage things and steal stuff. Why shouldn't that be awesome? But honestly, I can't, I can't even think of very many board games where that works. Well, board games, I mean... Board games, that's a whole other can of worms, right? Because like, almost by definition, you're dealing with like hidden information, and that's a completely different... Uh, th- that's a whole new order of challenge if you're, if you're talking about board games. But I agree with you that in, in general, uh, you know, esp- espionage really, really doesn't deliver uh, on its promise. And I kind of wanted to uh, get Soren in here right away to uh, you know, sort of get into some of the challenges... That a designer encounters the moment you start considering, you know, working spies into your strategy game. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I could start with how I tackled the issue with Civ Four, um, and I guess the way I tackled it is I, I didn't hardly do anything about it at all. Um, 
it was sort of a feature that I had never really cared about much in the previous Civ games. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff I wanted to fix or improve with Civ 4, and I kind of, you know, worked my way down the list, and, you know, espionage, espionage kept basically being kind of the last thing on the list I ever wanted to get to. Um, and I never really had any good ideas, and so we eventually just ended up with this, you know, the spy unit that kind of moved around and could cause some havoc and was invisible, and, um, you know, that's okay, but... It, and there were times when I just felt like I would we would have been better off if I had just left the unit out of the game entirely, um, but I didn't quite have the, the courage to do that. Um, and I think I think the issue is that there are basically two ways espionage can be interesting in games, or at least two ways that people imagine that it's used. One is for information, where you know, you know, you're playing the, you're playing this game, and you have these opponents, and there could be some advantage to finding out information about the other side, and so espionage can be one way to do that. And I think that's that's a pretty good place for espionage, right? Because it's pretty that hard seems, to yeah, that's it. interesting, and it doesn't you're not actively screwing with the game; you're just changing the information balance, and that seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, so I think there's there's lots of opportunity there. Um, Interestingly enough, I think in Civ, uh, it's it's not actually worthwhile enough to have an invisible unit kind of wandering around the enemy's back lines. In a multiplayer game, probably it is, but you know most people presumably play a single player, and they kind of end up seeing that you know the AI kind of looks basically the way you would expect it to, right? Because it's not trying some weird diversion, divergent strategy. Um, so. Uh, you know, I think there's definitely room for making spies uh, an aspect of the game that gives you extra information. I'm not sure if that information is value enough, valuable enough when you're playing the AI in Civ. The other area, though, is uh, spies causing, causing havoc, stealing stuff, blowing up stuff, messing with stuff. And so far, the implementations of that has always been pretty unsatisfactory. Um, and I'd say the big reason for that is anytime... Well, if we look at this from a, a totally different track, what's one of the reasons that you know your games have become so popular over the last you know fifteen or twenty years? Uh, and one is is that they put hard brakes on how people can hurt each other. Basically, like it really makes uh, conflict very indirect. You know, you can't. It, it's often very hard in those type of games to wipe out someone else's stuff, right? Um, and a lot of people have responded positively to that because that's it's it's a hard aspect in a game to balance out being able to wipe someone's stuff out, right? And so any game where you do have that aspect, you have to have you know a lot of rules in place to make sure that damaging someone else is done fairly and they have a way to respond to it and they can anticipate it and they can counter it if possible. Um, and the very nature of spies, it kind of runs counter to that, right? Because if, if you can sneak in, sneak deep into someone else's territory and, you know, wipe out half the population of their capital, well, the other side needs some way to anticipate that. And that's, that's really difficult, right? You say, like, in Sephora, I had kind of this concept of, like, okay, uh, no one can see spies except for other spies, but then... That leads to this issue of, well, okay, so then what you have to do is 
every turn, or you want to keep moving your spy around your territory to see if you can see someone else's spy. But that, frankly, just kind of sucks, right? That's not much fun. So, you know, I couldn't really ratchet up the effects because it would just essentially encourage that type of play. So, good. Right, and that stops being interesting. And and I think that the the other thing that was that was frustrating, particularly I think when when espionage got its big boost in Beyond the Sword, right? If I recall, if I'm remembering it right, there sort of espionage got more complicated and more important there. Um, the thing I remember being so frustrating was if you actually got into that counter spy game where you were trying to catch the AI, particularly AI spies coming in and blowing up all your crap. It effectively made it impossible to ever get a diplomatic victory. As soon as you engaged in espionage or counter espionage, you kind of cut one whole side of the game out because the act of catching enemy spies was sort of seen as a horrible thing to do. So you had you had this horrible choice of either abandon any chance at solid diplomacy or just let spies run all over you. And, and, you know, again, those, neither one of those was particularly satisfying. So it forced you into this path of, well, if somebody else is playing spies, I now have to play counter espionage, or I'm just going to get rolled. They gave you, they gave you a diplomatic penalty for just trying to prevent other people's spies? For catching them. Like if you actually caught them, I think you lost diplomatic points, right? Once you start bleeding diplomatic points, you're not going to get a diplomatic victory. Wow, that seems problematic. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. It was. Um, I mean, and it, but I, I agree. I mean, with all due respect, it was never spies were never a particularly satisfying part of the game. I mostly played them by ignoring them. That was my, yeah. my basic strategy. Yeah, my my limitation so far of like, you know, I didn't really want spies in the game, but I was like, well, if we put them in, they're gonna have to have some special abilities. So the best thing I could come up with is limiting the number of spies you could build. Period. Um, you could only have three or four. I think that was the only first time in a Civ game it had that that limit. And interestingly enough, right. that the fact that the code supported that became a big boon for uh, mods like Fall from Heaven because that was the same code that essentially allowed them to have those ah, kind of like okay. super units Special that units. you know yeah. could only exist one time for a Civ or once in the whole world or whatever. So there was something good that came out of it, but that's about it. <laughs> that's awesome. You know. Going back to uh, Beyond the Sword there for a second, though, it's, you know, I kind of look at that spy system as being particularly frustrating because I think there were some really good ideas there uh, that uh, just ended up coming out kind of half-baked. But one of the things I really liked about Beyond the Sword is it was this game, it, it it, it was one of the few espionage systems that didn't make it feel completely like, you know, you're spending these resources on creating this unit and then basically what you were buying was a die roll, you know, where, okay, now you got a chance to, you know, steal some technology or sabotage something. And if it fails, you know, that unit's either, con- like, killed or managed to escape, whatever. But I, I like that in Beyond the Sword, there was this idea of, like, building, like, intelligence networks and setting intelligence priorities. I liked that there's almost this financial aspect to managing uh, espionage and beyond the sword, and I, and I really feel like that was actually kind of a hint of a, of, a, of a good way to go with espionage systems, and um, where where I think you know beyond the sword really let me down is is that it was kind of like you you put all this investment into spy activities, but then like the moment you could actually do something awesome with them, uh, you basically consumed all your investment, and yeah. now and you're it was kind of and it was still one. a coin flip, 
And it was still a coin flip. Right. Right. It was, you still had no idea whether you'd be successful. Yeah. The, the, any, any part of the gameplay that just ultimately comes down to a coin flip is like really hard to do right. Um, I, I felt the same issue with the uh, uh, spreading religions, um, which is why we made them much more likely to happen over the course of developing the game when you, you know, moved in missionary. But especially with spying, well, it's funny because combat, of course, is a whole bunch of coin flips, right? But it's it's there's there's, there's a map, so many there's that multiple, they feel like they have right there's out, multiple use you know. exactly and, and you know if something goes against plan well you still probably have units in the field so now you'll just do something differently um, with 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 spies it seems like you know you get one shot and either it works and that's great or it doesn't work and then you're very you know you're let down there's there's no sort of secondary you know option or plan B or whatever. So I'm, what else do what what else would we want to see from a good system? I mean, I get your point, Rob, that like the hint of what could happen with espionage, where it could be like a full fledged, almost economic system all its own, where you're making certain investments and those investments can pay out over time. You know, either in the form of information or in the form of, uh, you know, uh, bad things happening to your opponent. I mean, that that's actually somewhat intriguing. Like, I, I don't rebel against the idea of espionage trees in my tech trees. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm thinking about this now. We've been talking about endless space um, a bunch in the past. Um, I, is, I, I, I can't even remember. Are there spy units in endless space? Is there an espionage track that I just haven't paid any attention to there? Uh, there is no meaningful espionage now. That's what I thought. But I can imagine, for instance, in a game like that, which is so tech tree heavy, at least my play of it seems to be, where you're making all those critical decisions from that huge tech tree, um, that there could be a whole research path there on espionage, which wouldn't even necessarily require units, wouldn't necessarily require sending a particular ship somewhere to do something that could be really interesting. It creates sort of a shadow economy. So I, I agree with you, Rob. I think that would be an interesting way to go. I just don't think we've seen anybody pull that off. When you're when you're talking about how it worked in Beyond the Sword that you the, the part of it that you liked, Rob, do you mean that um, there's sort of this concept of escalating finances that both sides are pouring in money and trying to outdo each other? Or ex- yeah, explain it a little bit more. Okay, so uh, actually, you know, pretend during- like I've never played that part of the game. <laughs> okay. Um, well, actually, so so let me let me bring in you know like. Uh, one of my experiences, my senior year of college, one of our courses was taught uh, by a former covert operative uh, for for the CIA, and uh, he he was also and he, he'd also risen fairly high there. So he'd gone from being he'd gone from being an operative and then to being a case officer, and then he was moved up to a, a high level position in Washington. But one of the things that really struck me is he sort of talked about his experience uh, first being an agent, then managing agents, uh, and then and then you know, moving up to the bureaucratic level is, is in many ways how unromantic and unsexy espionage actually is, right? Uh, and a lot of the process that he described, and I think Beyond the Sword begins to get at this, is that, um, you know, a, a spy agency can't, be, can't really be strong everywhere. Uh, so, so you really have to set, like, what, what, are your, what are our current intelligence priorities? And the thing is, the more you pour down one track, the more you invest in, say, uh, you know, espionage and counter-espionage against uh, China, for instance, and, you know, in, in that case, you're making Russia less of a priority. Um, 
the, the more that happens, you know, sort of, sort of, the more successful your espionage efforts become in China. You know, the the be- the 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 better idea, the better picture you begin to assemble of how things are operating in China. The the easier it is to get new agents, infiltrate new op- new operatives, that kind of thing. Uh, and and so I kind of I, I enjoyed this concept in Beyond the Sword, where it's not just okay. So I just created the spy and I'm going to send him out there. And who do, you know, where do I want to send him? You know, okay, I'll fly him to I'll fly him to this other city, and he'll do some spy stuff. That's kind of weak. But I, I enjoy this idea of you have, you know, call them espionage points, you know, call them whatever. But you have a finite number of, you know, you have you have a finite amount of, you know, espionage points on your balance sheet. And it's a question of where do you allocate them. And if you spread them too thin, uh, and, and this is kind of, this is kind of I, I think, how it works in Beyond the Sword. Uh, you know, if you if you spread yourself really thin, you actually never really had effective effective espionage against anybody. But if you kind of went all in and began pouring all your, re- your all your espionage efforts uh, into one you know one rival sieve, suddenly you, you had a much better menu of options uh, to take against to to take against that sieve. And and I feel like it, it it fumbles a little in the execution, but I feel like that competition for resources and that idea that the more you invest in espionage against, like the more you pick a target for your espionage efforts, uh, the more success you success you have, the the more intelligence you have. I feel like that's the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I I think that speaks to making it a whole complete system. I think the more it becomes a unit, the less satisfying it is. Right, the more it becomes. Uh, and invest in this one guy or these two or three guys or girls that have to run across the map and do their particular kind of thing, that to me is when it starts feeling like more of a crapshoot. I agree with you. The more it's a system, the more interesting it is. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I'd, I'd like to try to keep focused on like what is what is the nature of espionage that makes this different from just being another system. I mean, there's there's lots of ways that espionage has been implemented where you could essentially keep the same mechanics but call them missiles or something, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of come mm-hmm. from nowhere and do something bad to some city somewhere else. And like, They just take a long time to get across the map. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I mean, you could you could kind of Reiner Knizia retheme them if you wanted to, right? And it would, like, it would be kind of meaningless. <laughs> so, you know, is that really, like, a spy system? Like, it might be, like, I'm just sort of, well, one way it might be kind of interesting in a, in a Civ or 4X type game would be, you know, some of these games have have event systems, right, where certain events come up from time to time, and they can be good and they can be bad, and sometimes you have to make a decision. You know, it might be interesting if you could put some resources, if you put some, when you put some resources in espionage, you could essentially force events to happen to the other side, but the other side never actually finds out if it's right. like a random event or if it was an event that you're pushing on them. Um, right. I think actually a, that would be a, a that bit. would be genius because then you never feel like you have to as a player you have to start questioning the reality of the game you're playing because that that's genius. You should get into game design because you got all these good ideas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, here, yeah, because the, I think one of the big problems with spying is every time you find out about it, you, every time you find out that someone has used a spy against you, it just feels unsatisfying, right? Like there's nothing you could have done. So it's, it's almost better to never let the other side find out. They only find out in the sense that they know what they can do, so they're just always wondering what the other side is doing, right? Right. Well, there's a number of things that I, that I think as we as we talk this over, I think I think first is sort of in keeping with with what we were saying about 
uh, customization last week. I think espionage also falls into this weird place, kind of for that reason you just described, Soren, where you where you kind of you're kind of furious, not furious, but you're, you're it's it's annoying to find out like oh, uh, a spy just you know pulled some stuff against you and you know okay one of your cities is rebelling or a building was just destroyed you know have fun with that, that's really frustrating, right. um, but the other thing is is that I think it runs the risk of becoming one of those nuisance mechanics uh where it's like this is not stuff this is this is very very rarely stuff that's actually going to tip the balance of a game like really really how many how many games hinge on one technology or one building being in place in one particular city Uh, hardly any and so, you, and so you end up with this. You end up with this espionage system that, again, is is a way to exert pressure, uh, a very, very slight pressure, on the balance of power. Uh, and, and then it just sort of turns into the, this other thing you've got to manage that doesn't really do a lot, but you can't quite afford to ignore it. And I feel like that's often where espionage ends up. I mean, you know, this is why the idea of espionage systems that focus on information are much more interesting to me. And, um, you know, that the idea of scouts is certainly nothing new. Um, but but that is certainly in, in, in any kind of turn based or real time strategy game um, that kind of like even even something as simple as enhancing your map visibility because you invest in whatever the espionage system is. That strikes me as real and interesting and strategic right off the bat. I mean, if I have 10% greater visibility onto the map than my opponent, that requires me to have some skill to take advantage of that new information. That's why I love informational advantages, because they're not instant win buttons, right? If I if I, if my units do 10% more damage, that's just like a handicap for the other guy. But if I just get 10% more map visibility, I have to really be smart to do something with that information. And that is intriguing to me. Yeah, I think information is a great place to be for espionage games. But I feel like there's actually a lot of strategy games where, and perhaps this is a sign that there's a fault in the design, where information is not as important as you think it should be. Um, Certainly, I think in real-time, in RTS games, information is probably pretty important. So I think there is... um, a pretty good uh, opportunity there. Well, I mean, Rob, uh, you know, you're like Mr. Following competitive RTS world. Um, you know, the, the, the information unit I can think of off the top of my head is like the Protoss in Starcraft has a, a drone unit that just does nothing but map scout, right? The observer or whatever it's called. Is right. that even relevant in professional play or does it not get used? No, it totally is, but it, it gets used because it's a detector and can detect cloaked units. Uh, so you so you have that sort of uh, you know sort of informational mutually assured destruction wh- where if you know if if one person goes in on stealth and the other person doesn't, then someone's going to lose. But you know the moment someone goes stealth, uh, the other player invests in detection and that kind of thing. But but yeah, in, in RTS is the the real. The, the the real uh, battle the, the real information warfare is uh, just just scouting the other guy's base uh, ma- maintaining good visibility on the map map at all times and sort of reading intentions uh, from that and in the sort of closed death arena of, of an RTS. Uh, that's obviously very critical because everyone, you know, th- there's there's very limited reaction time. There's very limited resources uh, at that level. If you if you and, and there's only there's only one path to victory. There's no such thing. You're not trying to get like a sense of whether he's going military versus 
uh, diplomatic or something like that. Right, and if you have the wrong unit build, you know, you know, it's game over uh, when you when you finally have that battle. So it's very easy for information warfare to become crucial in an RTS in a way that is just is very hard to uh, you know port over to a 4x or you know or or any sort of turn-based strategy game. Should we talk about Ruse a little bit? Because it seems yeah, like that's, that's sort of the that's like the elephant in the room. The I obvious think. RTS game. I mean, Rob, you are a big fan of Ruse. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's it's one of my favorite RTSs. But the the funny thing is, I'm not sure it's one of my favorite RTSs because of its uh, Ruse mechanics. I I think they're it does it does some very cool things like the, the fact that you can deny somebody scouting in your in your uh, territory where the, the the map is all exposed right uh, so you can see everything happening on the map you you can see, you, you can't identify units uh, until you have like actual like line of sight on them with your troops but you know they're out there and where the ruse where the ruses come in is they can start making units either. Uh, appear to be stronger than they are, you know, where where it can it can make an infantry unit look like a tank, for instance. It can make it look like there's a horde where there isn't. Uh, so you, so you can play a lot of those games, but the way that ends up working in practice, and and again, I think this is one of those examples of you know a system that if so, if there were more time to refine it, if there were more more games working in this vein, I think you'd eventually get some very cool things out of it. But in this sort of early effort, what you end up with, uh, if, if you're playing if you're playing online, for instance, is the first thing you do is you use one of your ruses to cloak your base so they can't see where your buildings are going up, uh, and and so that just becomes this automatic thing. So you just wait for the cooldown uh, to expire, and then you you know jump back in there cloak your base so that uh, at no point can they, can they figure out what's going on. The same goes for when you see like a big enemy attack coming. Uh, you, very early on, you're, you're trained to sort of question whether, whether or not that's real. And so you have scouting units, uh, you know, roam around at all times just to sort of check out whether or not you're being spoofed. And, and so what ends up happening is the ruses are such known quantities that... Uh, you know, in in a lot of ways, they, they they never really fulfill their potential because nobody's ever really being faked out. You know exactly what the other person's capable of. Well, I would argue that the the problem with ruse is it doesn't really tie those ruses into the economy tightly enough, right? I mean, the the, the ruses tend to be they, they mostly they tend to be either cloak or discovery, right? I mean, that's that's those right. are the kinds of things that you can do. You're either you're either hiding or changing the nature of something. Like, look, my one infantry unit is actually eighteen tanks, or you're like hiding things completely or you're just like using it to dis- what's it called decryption or whatever it is to, to go discover, like to look at a piece of the map. Right. right. So those are, that's the basic thing, but they're all basically equal in the sense that it's not like you have to say, I'm going to build for the next 15 minutes towards a total map uh, discovery. And, and, st- and I'm doing that instead of building three very powerful units. Right there, this it's sort of this separate little ecosystem going on that I think, as you explain it, is pretty balanced in that everybody sort of figures it out, and that whole information economy happens over in the corner. And then, meanwhile, over here, you're trying to play a classic RTS with your tanks and your infantry units and everything else. And there's not really, I mean, may, I may be wrong because it's been a while since I played it, but I never got the sense when I was playing it that I was making some big sacrifice in unit strength in order to have an informational advantage or vice versa, that I was willing to forego an information advantage 
in in order to have more units on the table? Well, it seems like it's so hard to quantify exactly what the advantage of information is. But, however, that should make it such an interesting mechanic because you can't quantify mm-hmm. it, right? Um, is the is the problem with ruse essentially that they just need they need another full iteration? Because I mean, I don't I don't, I don't really have a lot of experience with ruse, but I would assume that it's a would have been an ext- if you put such an emphasis on information, it would be extremely hard to design a game like that and anticipate how the community is actually going to end up playing it so that a lot of their assumptions probably proved to be not, you know, well, not, not correct. What's interesting there, though, is that when, when they did another iteration, uh, they made Wargame European Escalation and threw all the ruse elements out the window. Uh, and uh, par- partly I wonder if that's just uh, them sort of being, you know, they were not working with Ubisoft for Wargame European Escalation, so I suspect they may have been working on more limited resources. Uh, they may have had to be a little more disciplined in, in how they approached their design. Uh, so, but, ult- but I ult- think it actually made a better game. Oh, it does. Honestly, in my it, opinion. It really focused on what made Ruse a uh, you know a standout RTS, and sadly, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the es- it wasn't the espionage type mechanics. But what what they ended up carrying over, obviously, was a really sophisticated notion of uh, scouting in line of sight that makes it so that uh, it's not always clear. Wargame kind of obscures, you know, it it obscures even from you uh, necessarily how good your information is about territory that's currently being observed. Like you might like, you might think you have eyeballs on a patch of terrain, but if there's a unit with like a, a like that that has a little bit of a lower profile, you know, like a squad of commandos or a you know, a very light tank, it might be sneaking through your lines that are you know currently being observed, and yet nobody sees it, nobody spots it. They're failing their spot check, as it were. Uh, so so that so that becomes rather cool, but but unfortunately. Uh, it, it means that they, they ended up not iterating on uh, the ruse mechanics, which I, I actually do think you're right, Soren. I think if I, I think if somebody had, you know, tried to make a make a second game to make those a little more relevant and integrate them a little more tightly with the rest of the design, I, I, I think there's some interesting possibilities there. Uh, I think it, I think I mean I think in general games haven't um, explored. What what line of sight and having you know black gray and white areas of a map and having you know bad information actually means like I think we you know video games jump sort of straight from board games where in which it's almost impossible to have fog of war um, into computer games where you just kind of got it almost by by default and you know I don't think we've thought through yet the there's actually some huge downsides to fog of war in general. Right, like um, I, I really believe for a lot of people when they sit down and they play an RTS for you know first for the first time, one of the big problems is that they aren't they aren't seeing what the other side is doing, right? Like, and so you get this this problem where like they think they're doing fine, and then they're suddenly they're playing they get solitaire, wiped. yeah, 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 and then suddenly they just get completely wiped out, and they have no visibility on what the other side was doing differently. Um, and of course, there's a lot of ways to get around that. That's why there's replays and YouTube and all sorts of stuff. But but it makes a, the learning a, curve brutal, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. there's no chance in your first 10 games you're going to figure out what the hell's going on. Well, also, what sort of commitment are you asking for players for? Like, if, if, you're ask, if your question is, how, how did I lose that? What did I do wrong? And the answer is, well, load up your replay file 
and watch it four or five times and look at look at different values. You know, how many workers did you have? What, what was your resource count? What was your unit count? Uh, then, I mean, you know, for someone like who's really going down the StarCraft rabbit hole and uh, and I'm falling down it, uh, yeah, that's totally awesome and and cool. I, I love that feature. But at the same time, like, not everyone wants to be approaching their games like a semi-pro. Sometimes you just want to know, like, well, where did you where did you go wrong? Yeah, and one right. of the big advantages of, of of a board game is like, yeah, the first time you play, you know, I don't know Puerto Rico or whatever, you know, you're probably going to get completely crushed. But you know, you see how the people across from you built their little engines, right? They got themselves going, and so you know, you're you know, you you can learn from them as it goes, as opposed to just you know playing a game for an hour and then just suddenly instantly losing at the end. Um, and I think it would be interesting if video games started off, or these strategy games started off with the assumption of no fog of war at the beginning and then introducing sort of specific targeted elements of concealing information that you know maybe right. can be countered or whatever, but start with the assumption that you can see everything because right. I, mean, I don't think we fully appreciate all the disadvantages of fog of war. I mean, I think... I think, uh, you know, Rob, you know, last time you and I play Advanced Squad Leader, we were playing a scenario where one of our sides had a certain number of concealment tokens. Right. And and I think that that approach, and, and for those who haven't played ASL, right, when you have that ability to have concealment tokens, it's basically like having the ability to put a giant question mark on a stack of units so that the other guy can't see what's there. And furthermore you don't know whether or not that whole stack of units might all be question marks, meaning there's nothing there at all. It's the equivalent of, you know, the blow up guy in the car, right? There's just, you know, you think there's something there, but it was just a mirage. And what that does is it provides that initial blush of fog of war where you don't really understand your strategic situation initially, but it doesn't dominate the entire game. It doesn't mean that like you step three steps back from where you were and all of a sudden you're completely in the dark again. And I get at why, you know, people who are serious grognards trying to replicate real world strategic situations want that level of fog of where, where if you go behind a building, you have no idea what's on the other side. And all of a sudden there can be 26 aliens standing there waiting to kill you. But on the other hand, that doesn't necessarily always make for interesting games. Yeah, I'd like to actually bring up a um, a game, a board game that's probably completely forgotten by now, but it was one that I enjoyed a lot when I was a kid. Um, that was called Conspiracy, and it was all about espionage, and it had this really fascinating mechanic that I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, and the way this game worked was um, there were eight spies on the board, um, and there were you know up to four players, and you know that. The players would be like, you know, Washington, Moscow, Beijing, etc. Um, and each player could move any of the spies around at any time on their turn. The spies didn't belong to any one country. But you had um, the sort of secret book where you made payoffs to the different spies. And no one knew, no one knew how much information you were paying off to different, different spies, right? Um, so, and at, at some point... If you wanted to move someone's spot, well, I, see, I'm already making mistakes. Someone's spot. If you if you're if you wanted to move a spy and someone else did not want you to move a spy, they can make a challenge, and then it came down to, you know, who paid the other one the most amount of money it a, secretly. It was, it was about bribery, right? This game got yeah. re-released. I'm pretty sure as Casablanca, 
Um, oh really? And, and oh cool. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. It's I'm pretty positive it's the exact same game. Um, and they just reskinned it in the '90s. Um, I think right. this is a very old game, if I recall. I played it as Casablanca. I never played it as Conspiracy. Um, yeah, but that that level of not knowing who's doing what was super interesting, right? And because nobody had complete control and complete visibility, it made for really interesting screw your neighbor kind of gameplay. Yeah, I mean, they even had uh, specifically in the rules that said you can take your turn to pay off a spy, but not actually pay off a spy, right? Um, because you know, you definitely. <laughs> You definitely didn't want to spend all your money too early, and you know, like well, oftentimes, you, I don't you believe know, you, you ever got more money, right? I think you started right, yeah. with a thousand dollars or whatever billion dollars, whatever the number was, right? And it was and just a question it. of it was sort of like a bidding game, but you never knew what anybody else was bidding when, right? And spies would get killed, so if you if your spy if you had a spy with half your money in it, and that spy got killed off, you know, you were you were going to be in big trouble. Right. Um, so it, it, exactly, so it was a little bit like a Reiner Knizia, you know, modern art style game at the same time yeah god i've totally forgotten about that game yeah yeah that was I mean, really that, that's a yeah that's a forgotten mechanic i think and uh i'd love to see a, i'd love to see a video game try to try to work on something like that i love the idea of that the you know the way asl handles hidden units where you sort of invest in concealment i mean you don't explicitly do it if you're playing a pre-made scenario but you know a certain side may be slightly weaker but have a lot of concealment tokens to use um, and, and so you can sort of think about investing in information denial as part of your build. I, I, there's something there that I haven't seen in video games that I find very satisfying in board games that I would love to see, you know, and I, I think that, um, Rob, a game I know you love to death, uh, you know, War of the Ring, right? I mean, there's a component of that where it's not concealed information, but the, you know, one of the major features of the fellowship is that they can as long if you you can string along this hidden movement mechanic for long enough you start building an information advantage and it's not information in the sense you had to write it down like scotland yard i hate those kinds of games um i'm never any good at them not because they suck um uh, you know it's not like you have to say oh i'm actually in lothlorien you actually get to choose later where you actually end up right so the longer you can keep from being discovered the more information and sort of tempo advantage you'll have later in the game i'd love to see that in a game that used that as part of the espionage mechanic right and they're the great but you also have this escalating risk where the longer you go without declaring the fellowship in a new location uh the greater the chances are you're going to be caught out and sort of located somewhere inconvenient uh, right and then the, the other part of it is of course that both sides have to play this sort of secondary victory track where you know it's it, you know it, it's it, it falls in this interesting case maybe this is the, maybe this is where like uh you know a good espionage uh system should be aiming to end up in war of the ring uh you know you have the secondary victory track where one side can sort of win this unlikely victory uh through the track and the other side can 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 lose despite winning the war uh can lose cuz of this victory track and so both sides kind of have to decide like how you know how much of their how much of their regular resources in this case their actions per turn how much of that are they going to funnel into fighting along the secondary victory track uh at the risk of weakening their their primary war effort right and, and uh, yeah i i think it ends up it ends up uh play, playing a very nice role there uh because you have this you have this sort of open question where how much how much can I really afford 
uh, to ignore this? And, and, and the, answer's, the answer changes from game to game. It's interesting that, you know, as the, this conversation goes on, you know, as we go, the, the big question is like, why hasn't espionage worked well in video games? We inevitably devolve into giving examples of good uses of espionage in board games. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wonder, wonder why that is. Which is so interesting because one of the things that people always talk about being one of the great features of bringing strategy games into the video realm is that you can do things like complete information control, right? Which are impossible to really do well in a board game. I mean, unless you're willing to play diplomacy in eight rooms with eight sets of diplomacy where nobody talks to each other, right? And you shuttle messages around, which I've done and it's brilliant and fantastic. But I mean, unless you're willing to go to some pretty radical extremes, you can't do that kind of information control in a board game, and yet it's it's the default in a video game, right? You only are ever seeing what the computer decides to expose to you, so the default for all information is it's completely hidden. So you would think it's the natural place for a brilliant espionage system, and none of us have been able to come up with a system we actually like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's, it's that, that issue of, like, you know, in board games, you have known unknowns, and in video games, you have unknown unknowns, right? Like, if someone's <laughs> hiding information in a board game, you see, you see them literally hide the information in front of you, right? So, right. I, I want to put a marker out that you're invoking Rumsfeld and that Bruce yeah, is here. <laughs> <laughs> That's like some sort of party foul. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, something else, though, is I, I feel like. One one thing I see happen again and again, and I think this is one of those cases of just misplaced attempts at realism, giving players things that they think like they think they want, or you think the players want. Like, how many games have had spy units that end up at some point coming to you with this miraculous bit of information? So and so is planning a sneak attack against someone else or against you, and sometimes they even tell you when it's going to happen. And the moment that happens, and and and, and this, and you get you get spammed with messages like this all the time in the new Civ Five expansion. Uh, you know, oh, you just found out that someone is assembling is a that, fleet. Is that uh, is that working out? Because I, when I saw that idea, I kind of wished I had thought of it. Nope. No, no, because nope. no, because the idea is fucking garbage. Okay, and it's always garbage uh, because here's right, it's the, never in the sense that like they, it's, they it's tell like you, if but you it immediately responded to all of those and sent all your units to do whatever it told you you should be worried about. Oh, you'd be doomed. It's, it's never true. No, but but this but this is the problem, right? It's like your spy unit can't like it creates this idea of the spy unit as telepath, and it's and it's completely bogus because I'm sitting there, I'm playing Civilization Five. Uh, there's no way, like you know, I don't even know if I'm going to plan a sneak attack against somebody five turns from now. A lot of times, like you know, I might just see the opportunity and go for it. You know, it's very rare that this, there's this idea of you know. There's this like overarching intent that you could translate right. to, you know, oh, this person is clearly trying to build up and attack Elizabeth, for instance. The right. game doesn't really work that way. What, but what, you what, can, you could turn the AI into a game mechanic, right? I mean, if you, it seems to me, if you use something like that, like if you say, okay, the Aztecs are going to sneak attack you here, like once you do that, you have to make the AI do that to, in order to make the system work. And then I think it could be kind of interesting. It could um, be kind of. It, if, go ahead. 
Well, no, but it, it could it could be kind of interesting, but then you've created this. Then you've entered this really weird space where the AI is not allowed to play like a human anymore, right? Where now the AI has to sort of lock itself into planning yeah, planning exactly. an attack against you and is not allowed to deviate from that plan. It, Otherwise, your Potemkin spy it's a system single doesn't work. Game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, in my mind, the AI already does not play like a human. Like, I mean, I think. I think that's, um, I mean, this is sort of a philosophical question here we're getting into, but uh, it's possible to do it that way. Um, I mean, it's a continuum, how much you want the AI to sort of just be part of the gameplay versus how much the AI AI should be replacing a human. And uh, a lot of attempts to make the AI replace a human in Civ games have not gone very well. Um, No, I, I get that, but these are cases where I almost feel like it's an attempt to make the AI play like, you know, Germany in 1939, right? Where like, oh, the spies have figured out, you know, what, what, what you know, Nazi high command ha- has planned, and now we can, now we ferreted out their plans, and, and and we can blow them up, and that might be, you know, it it might be re- sort of realistic to do that in in a historical game. Uh, you know, certainly, like the, there are incidents like that that happen in history, where like plans are revealed and people people are able to act. But the problem is, strategy games don't really follow historical logic. They very they very rarely follow historical logic, and a lot of times I feel like espionage systems are being layered in. Um, you know, when I when I when I see that happen, when I see when one of my spies comes to me and says, you know, like so and so is plotting against you. It's it's this huge tell that like the, the 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 spy system is approaching the game from a completely different angle uh, than the game itself is approaching its subject matter. Uh, d- does that right. make sense? So are you saying that the issue is because it, there's two? I can see two potential problems. So is the issue sort of uh, just an emotional one in like it breaks your suspension of disbelief, or is it a problem of you know it's telling you that the Aztecs are going to do this and then the Aztecs don't actually do this? It's it, it, it for me. It's kind of twofold, right? It, it, for me, it's not that it breaks suspension of disbelief. It just leaves it. It, it leaves everything in this really weird, uh, you know, it, it leaves things in this kind of weird netherworld. Because then the question is, are the Aztecs really planning this? Well, you know, five turns go by, the Aztecs don't attack. Does that mean the Aztecs change their mind, or does it mean that? You know, the, the spies are just generating random intelligence reports uh, that you can then report on to other characters in the diplomacy system where you're allowed to reveal intrigue to other characters. So are these just, like, random intrigue generation events where it's like, oh, so-and-so's plan is plotting? That's what it feels like. I mean, certainly that's what it feels like in every system so far. I would think in order for that system to work, like so that's why I said earlier, like it has to be kind of one hundred percent, which of course would lead to these some some of these weird situations where, you know, something could happen in those five turns that would make it crazy for the Aztecs to do that, and if they still do that, then it then it feels a little weird then as well. But uh, what, so we we should probably talk a bit about uh, paradox games, and in particular, we probably want to address uh, Crusader Kings two, because th- that's that's a case now, now that's a case where. Espionage is is actually hand is actually handled rather well, uh, in part I think because its ambitions are so limited. Where espionage espionage is not this huge like overarching system where 
you know, at any given time, you know, you have agents, you know, working in France and, uh, you know, Burgundy and, and ferreting out secrets. But, but what, you, what you end up having is, is your house has a spy master. And you appoint a spy master, and that person begins sort of ferreting out plots. Uh, and, and you're allowed to physically locate them. They can go, they can go to other places and build spy networks. Uh, I think they can even go other places and uh, start stealing uh, innovations. Uh, but even that, I think, is handled a little no, better. I, I, th- I think, I think the, the term of art is they study technology. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but but I, think, I think what ends up working well there, though, is that you know, Crusader Kings 2, in so many ways, functions like this little uh, you know, sim feudalism. Uh, you know... You know and and so what the, the the types of reports you get from your spy master are completely convincing because it's really basing its reports on the intentions of all these little AI characters with their own agendas that may have nothing to do with the overall you know state of play in the game you know like so, someone totally forgotten about about Crusader Kings two and their sort of spy master thing and you're right I think it actually works there. Maybe we found the one game where it works, right? And I think because I think because because it's well, totally in keeping with with the game's perspective, it, with the game's model of events, and and the way the game handles agency, where well, what does, but 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 also it's because it's a very personal game. It's about the right. people, right? Because that game is not about like giant armies marching around. It's really about individuals that you choose to take on certain tasks or that you choose to be involved with because of their certain role and their certain aspects because they're particularly good at one thing or another. That actually lends itself to the idea that you're picking a James Bond to go represent you in the court of Spain. Mm-hmm. What do the so what do the spies actually do for you, you know, pra- practically speaking? So what they end up doing generally is they start sniffing out plots. Um, and y- you can plot as well. Uh, basically, plots are ways to adv- advance characters' ambitions uh, or neutralize other characters. And so in Crusader Kings 2, th- there are all these little AI characters running around, each with their own agenda, each with their own agenda and ambition. Off- often on your side, theoretically, right? Like, so it's like you're, you know, you're, they're the king and you're worried about your son, that kind of plot. Right. The only person you control is your noble and the the noble theoretically controls you know your, your entire house but that even that's dubious right no. so you might get a report from your spy master that your you know firstborn son is plotting to you know murder his wife or murder his little brother you know just to be safe or, or murder or like murder that. your wife yeah <laughs> Right, 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 and, and so you, you, you know, your spy hands you that information, and you're kind of left. You know, it's up to you what you want to do with that. And, and when you're handed that information, you can use it to uh, blow up the plot. Uh, you, you know, say, tell someone I know you're plotting, and get them to stop. You can use it to arrest them. Uh, but, but the, but the, the entire system works because when you get one of those reports. That is actually based on something that's happening within the game engine. There's actually a little AI character that's you know steepling its fingers and, and planning on right. you know and so you can do something about it. Yeah, you can do something about it. So if you discover that the Earl of whatever in Denmark or whatever um, is plotting to secretly murder your son, 
you can actually do something with that information. And it's generally, I mean, my experience has been that's been pretty accurate information, or at least me acting on it on that information hasn't hurt me. So I can, I can then secretly order the assassination of the Earl of Denmark or whatever. And that works out. Yeah. See, it's interesting because what you described is not fundamentally different from what they did in gods and Kings, right? It's just that, um, the one of the issues with a sieve game is like everything you do in sieve is kind of like like trying to run in water you know it's like everything goes very slowly whereas you know it sounds like in crusader kings you know you can make these very specific decisions and actions which have consequences well, right away right but the other the other i think key difference here and maybe we're on to something is that crusader kings is ultimately about personalities right i mean crusader kings is about you know, you, you pop up some window and all of a sudden you can see the hundred people you could be interacting with in the world, various daughters of kings and whatever and all that stuff. Um, and so those personalities actually start becoming important to the game as you play it. And I remember I, I, I had totally forgotten this, but an early game of, of CK that I'd played, I actually made my wife the spy master yep. and sent her off to go do something. And it, it was one of those great like story moments where she went off and stole like two or three, or I should say studied two or three awesome technologies and then informed me that somebody who was trying to actually become one of my vassals was secretly throttling to kill me. And I had this great opportunity to then just like knock that guy off. And I felt like I was in a Shakespeare play. So yeah, that's a, I, that's an example of espionage working. Do you ever find out if she was actually correct? Well, no, because I knocked the guy off. I mean, she well, could have been yeah. lying. Well, but, that, that leads to a sort of interesting question, right? Like, well, but, uh, but <laughs> yeah. I, see, I've done, I've done experiments on this, right? So I, I, there have been a number of okay, times good. where I get word of a plot and I just decide... Not to intervene. Like, let's see. Oh, how this split plays save out. games. Split. Do you split your save game? <laughs> right. Uh, no, no. I just, I, I just, you know, sometimes I'll act on the spy's information. Sometimes I won't. And generally, I find that spy masters are a good spy master is pretty accurate. If if they say there's a plot going on, the plot might end up getting discovered by someone else, and the entire thing falls apart. But the plot was real. Uh, and, and part and, and again part part like one difference between this and civilization say is that uh plots aren't something that just happen in the moment uh there there's a plotting mechanic where you add plotters and plots gather strength uh the more influential figures you attach to the plot uh they're also easier to discover and so, so the, plot when you say when you say plot you're saying plot with a capital p right like this is a specific game mechanic right it's like a little ledger with like a bunch of names you know it's it's almost like guestbook right. right a guestbook to murder uh yeah. where, where <laughs> so, yeah, everyone sort of signs their name that's a good game title right there <laughs> I, think it's, I think that's an agatha christie novel actually um guestbook to murder <laughs> guestbook to murder no, but but so so that's kind of how it works. Where the 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 spy is not detecting some made up, uh, you know, idea of intent in Crusader Kings Two. There's a mechanic that establishes intent. So this is, I think, kind of key to whether espionage can work in a game. Is you actually need mechanics like this that are interesting to find out about, you know, and so that that determines whether you can have these, you know, units that go that go around discovering things and that makes that actually valuable right that's not true for all strategy games right because so many of them are just 
you know, the, the games are so the games are so system driven, where you know you manage the economic system, you you, you manage the science system, the 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 idea of of stuff like this, where you you start touching on on questions of what do you plan to do, uh, th- there's really no way to detect that. I mean, if you find that if you find that information and you have nothing to do about it, it's not really it doesn't become that interesting, right? Now, here's here's another question. Now, um, why I can't think of any. So, but maybe I'm wrong. But why haven't there been any strategy games that are just about spying, right? Like, I mean, you could imagine there should be like an interesting strategy game that could be made about like Cold War, you know, U.S. versus Soviet Union, you know, trying to ferret information back and forth across Europe, like that type of thing. Um, yeah, instead, made I certainly covert I action, can't think of any good but, historical ones. Right. I mean, they're they're uh, games like Syndicate, which are sort of, kind of. I no, not really. Never mind. I back, I, I back up. Yeah, yeah. So Syndicate is really about murdering people in the street. Yeah, yeah no, like, that's I, it, I, that's I, its I vision spying. Uh, no, but uh, but I I think I've been I've been sort of thinking about that as, as we've been talking too. Where I I think one reason I think espionage is so often unsatisfying is because. If you want to do it right, you do kind of have to make an entirely set. Like, it's not to say there's only one way to do it, but I, I think one way to begin thinking about it is if you were making yes, an entire game that's all about espionage and 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 uh, covert operations and and get beyond the idea where you just have a spy that goes out there and, and does you know you know does spy type stuff and start looking at well when you're talking about like covert operations what kind of things are you touching on you're t- you're talking about like cryptography you're talking about like you know counter espionage and espionage you know recruiting agents uh you're talking about establishing like resistance cells uh you know sab- sabotage that kind of thing and 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 then you begin to build an entire game out of that uh because that's really like a lot of games sort of ball all those concepts up, you know, and and throw them into the game in one unit. And what you're talking about though is this entirely this this complex system with all these different all these different options, all these different ways of acting covertly against an opponent. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I think you could uh, you could definitely make a good game about it if you make it the if you make it the focus. Um, I mean, I think any any strategy game where information is important i think the designers should think about ways to play with that as a mechanic as well um but yeah i you know i think that you know espionage espionage doesn't do well as a sort of perfunctory you know secondary feature to to just stick in a a strategy game just because you know you feel like you should especially because i think if you deal with if your if your strategy game operates on on a large enough scale it just becomes harder and harder to know where to slot espionage in. How much of a difference should a spy be able to make in in a Civ game, for instance? Uh, right. Or you know, even if even if you were to narrow it down to a famous you know case where uh, you know Britain versus Germany in World War Two, and, and Britain's sort of famous uh, famously uh, successful counter espionage and cryptography programs. Um, you know, e- even that well, but, or. But but even if you ex- you extend that, I mean, right? How many how many attempts were there to kill Hitler? Right? I mean that that you extend it to the absurd, right? And or or you think about games set in the Tropico universe, right? Like how many games of Tropico could end overnight because of a successful uh, CIA plot against your little mini dictator? Right. 
<laughs> right? I mean, that's game over, right? And that maybe that's part of the problem here is that we have this belief that really effective espionage is the game, not just a game changer, but a game winner, right? I think we'd like to believe that. Right. And, and, and but right. And the that's so rarely the case, though. Like, if you look at even the most successful, you know, the, the most successful, uh, you know, espionage programs in history, how much, how much do they really accomplish? You know, how much, you, you know, how, like, well, like we the, don't know. The, well, that's true. The, the, few cases, the few cases we do, though, the impacts sometimes feel a little marginal. Like the, the Soviets get the nuclear bomb, you know, maybe a, maybe a couple years sooner than they otherwise would have. But, you know, if you're playing a grand strategy game, is that is that enough of a difference to really justify making spies a big unit? Did, you know, how much did the French resistance really matter compared to the fact that you know the allies hit you know invaded invaded france with just a colossal amount of resources behind them yeah i mean there's a case to be made that combat in general should be more abstracted in your standard 4x civ type game and if that's true then i mean espionage is is barely even worth mentioning right um i mean again it's an interesting mechanic if you're talking just purely information but you know i, d- I definitely don't feel like it needs to be included because we need to do right by history or something like that. Um, it sort of comes out in the wash. Right. So it's, it, it sort of seems like, you know, at least judging from Crusader Kings 2, you've got, you've got kind of a narrow use case for, uh, you know, espionage and spy mechanics. I agree. I mean, and, and maybe that's why they've been so uh, surprisingly unsuccessful. I mean, we've basically been able to find one game that seems to have gotten it right. And it's a game that is effectively entirely about political intrigue to start with. That's yeah, that's very true. I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I hold out hope that maybe eventually we could, we could find a better way to integrate this stuff into, uh, you know, larger, larger scale strategy games. But I, I think, you know, I, I really kind of feel like, you know, before we can, you know, before we can run, we must walk. I would really like, I would really like to play, uh, you know the uh, the odd game, the odd strategy game that's really entirely about um, you know co- covert operations, covert warfare, and, and and see you know see what kind of see what kind of mechanics uh, and game dyna- dynamics come out of that, and then maybe think about how we could work those into a to a bigger strategy game rather than trying yeah. to sort of top down cramming it in uh, that, that seems to be kind of the hallmark of espionage in, in grand strategy. Yeah, I'm sort of shocked that I can't come up with a, a single board game that has really leveraged the idea of a Cold War spy network, uh, you know, theme, uh, because that just seems ripe for the picking. And I'm sure we'll get a, a, a dozen emails from folks saying, you missed blah, 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 my favorite game of all time. But, uh, you know, even 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 thinking about the role playing genre, I can't even come anything come up with anything except for. Uh, you know, top secret, the old TSR uh, <laughs> box game. I mean, and even that was mostly just camp. All right, so I think that uh, about does it for our discussion of espionage. Uh, you can uh, y- you can tell us how horribly we bungled this topic and how wrong we are and how awesome spies are uh, at our forums on IdleThumbs.net. Uh, I should also mention that. Uh, our friend Troy Goodfellow is having a meetup in Toronto on August 4th, and you can find details of that on the flashofsteel.com blog. 
Uh, I know that it will be a star-studded affair with Troy and John Schaefer and I think David Heron and... Well, that's enough stars in that firmament. <laughs> that's Don't all the Canadians we know. Uh, all right. So uh, thank, you, thank you both for uh, coming on the show. And uh, I look forward to talking to you guys next week. It's great to be here. Good night, everybody.